Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the first quarter investors conference call. Today's call is being recorded. Legal counsel requires us to advise that the discussion scheduled to take place today may contain forward-looking statements that involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties. Actual results may materially different from any future results, performance, or achievements contemplated in the forward-looking statements. Additional information concerning factors that could cause actual results to materially differ from those in the forward-looking statements is contained in the company's annual information file with the Canadian Securities Administration's annual report on Form 40F as filed with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded. Today is April 23rd, 2020. I would now like to turn the call over to Chief Executive Officer, Mr. Scott Patterson. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Jesse. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to our first quarter conference call. Thank you for dialing in. Jeremy Rakusin, our CFO, is on the line with me today. In terms of an agenda for the call this morning, I'm going to open and start right into a COVID-19 update. Talk about the impact the pandemic is having on our businesses, the actions we're taking, and a look forward. We will then circle back and talk to you about our Q1 results, as we normally do, Jeremy and I in tandem. And then Jeremy will close with a focus on our balance sheet and liquidity. Let me start by saying that all of our businesses have been designated essential services in at least some of their geographic regions, with most being granted essential status across every market. In particular, our management, janitorial, security, restoration, and fire safety businesses are delivering services that are protecting the health and safety of our customers during this crisis. I can tell you I am so proud and inspired by our frontline teams that show up every day and continue to deliver on our service excellence promise. Our customers are depending on us now more than ever, and I want to personally thank our operating teams for their resilience and commitment during this time. Although our services are deemed essential, they are certainly not immune to the impacts of a pandemic. While COVID-19 did not materially affect our first quarter results, we will see a negative impact in future reporting periods, in particular the second quarter. The various lockdown, stay-at-home, and social distancing measures are negatively impacting our ability to do work on the premises of both residential and commercial customers. All of our service lines are being impacted with a more pronounced effect being felt within our brands division. Let me get a little more specific and talk about each of our divisions. We believe our first service residential division will be relatively resilient. Most of the revenue is essential and contractual and relates to community management. Our boards are counting on us 
to deliver seamless management services through this period. We will, however, see declines in certain ancillary services, including amenity management, project management, and a number of administrative services. And as a result, we expect year-over-year -year revenue decline in the second quarter of 10 to 15%. The ancillary services generally carry a higher average margin, so we expect some margin dilution in Q2 versus Q2 of 2019. Our first service brands division will see a more pronounced year-over-year -year revenue decline, particularly as a result of our home improvement-related businesses. As mentioned, it is currently very challenging for our operations to perform on-site work and generate revenue. We expect our revenue in this division to be off 40 to 50% in the second quarter, excluding global restoration. With global, we will be flat to up 15%. In terms of profit, we expect to generate a modest low to mid single digit margin in Q2. All of our operations acted quickly and boldly in March to reduce operating costs, including headcount reductions, salary cuts, and deferral of all discretionary expenses. The Q2 margin estimates I have provided include all of these mitigating measures. We, like others, cannot predict the duration and severity of the pandemic, and it is difficult for us to see beyond Q2 in fact, I would say that May and June are not highly visible at this point. The situation changes daily. I will say that all of our businesses are mobilized and planning for a return to work. We are confident that we will respond quickly to changes in the marketplace and take full advantage of any and all revenue opportunities. We have a long track record of success and we fully expect to get through this period of disruption and continue to build on it for years to come. Our performance in the first quarter was another building block in that track record. Pre-COVID, we had momentum really across the board that exceeded our expectations. Q1 results would have been even better, particularly in our brands division as our momentum obviously did slow in March. Total revenues were up 31% over the prior year, relating primarily to the acquisition of global restoration at the end of the second quarter of 2019. Organic growth was again 6% this quarter, spread evenly across our divisions. EBITDA increased by 50% reflecting a 90 basis point increase in margins, and earnings per share were up 23%. At First Service Residential, revenues grew by 6% all organic. The growth was broad-based geographically and balanced between contract wins and the addition of ancillary services. At First Service Brands, revenue was up 77% due primarily to acquisitions but supported by very solid organic growth of 6%. The organic growth was driven by strong results 
at Century Fire and the home improvement brands, particularly California Closets and Serta Pro Painters. And the results at our home improvement brands are impressive in light of the considerable headwinds they faced during the last two weeks of March. I will tell you that we are very pleased with the results of our first quarter, which reflect market share gains across the board and strong fundamentals. On that note, I will transfer over to Jeremy for a more detailed review of our quarter and balance sheet. Thank you, Scott, and good morning, everyone. As you heard, we kicked off the 2020 fiscal year with another quarter of strong financial performance. To recap our consolidated Q1 financial results, we reported revenues of $634 million, up 31% over the $486 million in the prior year quarter. Adjusted EBITDA was $43.9 million, a 50% increase over the prior year's $29.2 million, with our margin coming in at 6.9%, up 90 basis points year over year, and our adjusted EPS was 37 cents, representing 23% growth over the 30 cents per share in the prior year period. Our adjustments to operating earnings and GAAP EPS in arriving at adjusted EBITDA and adjusted EPS respectively are outlined in this morning's press release and are consistent with our approach and disclosures in prior periods. Turning to our segmented financials by division, First Service Residential recorded revenues of $340 million, up 6% over last year's first quarter, while EBITDA was $23.9 million, a 9.5% increase over the prior year. The EBITDA margin for the division came in at 7%, up modestly from 6.8% last year. In our First Service Brands division, we generated revenues of $294 million during the first quarter, up 77% over last year's first quarter, which in turn drove EBITDA of $21.9 million, double the $11 million in the prior year quarter. The division margin increased to 7.5% from last year's 6.6% level due to a shift in mix of businesses within the brand's portfolio. Current quarter included contribution from Global Restoration with its year-round operations compared to a more seasonal slant in Q119 and prior years, which typically yielded lower first quarter brands margins. Now into a walkthrough of our cash flow, which was strong across the board. We generated $31 million before working capital changes a 27% increase year-over-year. Operating cash flow after working capital requirements was up even more, 56% over last year at $40 million. Cash flow improvement is largely attributable to the reduced seasonality in our brands division versus the prior year, which I previously referenced, as well as increased accounts receivable collections. During the first quarter, our capital deployment was modest. CapEx in support of our existing businesses was $15 million, tracking in line with the annual $60 million CapEx level we provided at the outset of the year. 
Scott alluded to the cost reduction and cash management initiatives we have undertaken in the face of COVID-19, and that includes a review of our capital expenditures. To counter the impact of the pandemic, we are reducing our estimated annual CapEx to a level in the order of $45 million with an ability to flex either up or down as the degree and duration of the crisis plays out. Our other leg of capital deployment, acquisition spending, was negligible for the quarter compared to the deal flow we saw in Q1 2019. The acquisition activity that we have ebbs and flows from quarter to quarter and year to year, so the more muted level this quarter is not indicative of any longer-term trend. While the current COVID-19 environment does make it more challenging to advance our deal pipeline, we continue to be active with our prospect list, so we're well-positioned to further advance when travel opens up. The combination of improved cash flow and reduced capital investment kept all of the key metrics related to our balance sheet roughly in line with the 2019 year-end. Our leverage, as measured by net debt to trailing 12 months EBITDA, remained flat with year-end at 2.4 times. We believe that this leverage ratio provides us with sufficient headroom compared to our maximum covenant of three and a half times to navigate through the COVID-19 environment. Our debt profile is also favorable. We have an attractive low cost of funding with an average annual interest rate in the range of three to three and a half percent based on our mix of current floating and fixed rate borrowings. All significant debt maturities are at minimum close to three years out with our bank revolver having the nearest term maturity in January 2023. And most importantly, our liquidity reflecting our cash on hand and our undrawn revolving credit facility balance is significant at $400 million, a little higher than at 2019 year end. This liquidity level gives us plenty of runway to withstand the negative impact of the pandemic particularly given our asset light business model and ability to generate free cash flow in a highly depressed macroeconomic environment. That concludes our prepared comments. Uh, ask the operator to open the call to questions at this point. Thank you. Thank you. Again, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star then one on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. We will pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from George Dumit with Scotia Bank. Your line is open. Please state your uh, question. Yeah. Good morning. Um, maybe on the on the brand side of the business to start off. Uh, I understand this is a tough question, um, but how do you see the eventual, I guess, the tra trajectory of the uh, of the recovery um, in the back half? I guess when you can look at California closets uh, versus restoration and versus century fire, um, maybe how how you how you project that? How you how you think of that in terms of maybe some lags there? Reviews there, please. Um, well, that is a tough question, George. It's, it's hard to say. I will tell you that we had, um, as I said in my prepared comments, very strong momentum uh, leading into this. Um, at Cal Closets, we were uh, building backlogs 
uh, really at every operation. And, uh, you know, we continue to engage with our customers and, and provide virtual estimates and, and virtual consults, but we simply uh, are unable to get out and, and install the work. Um, but the teams are ready to go. And uh, as we are able to get back into homes, um, we'll, we'll start to uh, work through that backlog and, and um, how quickly that happens, uh, we, we don't know. And um, the longer term impact that this um, situation has on demand uh, at, at uh, our home improvement brands, um, you know, we're, we don't know that either. Uh, but I can tell you that we, there is uh, lead activity um, that is certainly down, but uh, stabilized and starting to tick up. So, you know, we're hopeful. Okay. Well, that's helpful. And um, you alluded to this earlier, Scott, um, on the residential side. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what specific uh, service lines and maybe what end markets have been the most impacted uh, today? And just wondering if you're seeing any issues at all um, on, when it relates to collections. Okay, so two, two different uh, questions. Um, you know, the, at, at First Service Residential, our core management services can c continue. You know, we, we manage 8,500 communities. They're all expecting us to manage seamlessly through this period. So financial management, collection of assessments, and, and uh, payment of vendors, and so on continues. Um, in many regions, we provide a full-service offering that includes janitorial and front desk, visitor screening, package handling, security, building operations. All of that continues seamlessly. Um, but it's the management of fitness centers and spas and aquatic areas uh, that uh, they have, for the most part, been shut down, which results in a reduction of our staff. Um, Project management, construction management are services we provide in many regions. It's slowed considerably. And then uh, administrative services, uh, transfer and disclosure documents, for example, that relate to the sale of a property within our communities. That, that activity, uh, properties simply aren't moving right now. And, and so that's a, a fee that, that, uh, that we charge for that service that, uh, that will be down. And so it's those services that are resulting in the reduced um, revenue that, that we're uh, forecasting for Q2. In terms of uh, the collection of monthly, monthly maintenance fees, we haven't seen any impact uh, yet. So that would be for uh, April. Um, there was a little bit, uh, little bit of reduction in uh, New York, but outside of New York, really, uh, really nothing at this point. That's helpful. And just one last one, if I may, maybe to Jeremy, um, as it relates to the covenants, I think you called them out at three and a half. Um, just wondering, if, in light of, I guess, all that lower visibility we're facing on, on both segments, is, is there an attempt at all, maybe on your end, to, uh, to raise those and just to be prudent? Uh, not at this point, George. Uh, you know, we, we modeled out many different scenarios, but the way we see, um, 
you know, the outlook for Q2 and the parameters that Scott outlined shaking out. Uh, we think it would be premature to go there. Uh, we, we, we're pretty comfortable that we're going to stay within that covenant. Uh, obviously, it's a fluid situation. We'll keep evaluating it, but we're, we're in good shape right now. Okay. Thanks for your answers. Your next question comes from Stephen McLeod. Please state your question. Uh, thank you. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Um, morning. Um, just understanding, obviously, uh, lots of lots of uncertainty out there. I was just wondering if um, on the first service brand side, you kind of gave um, two sort of two sets of guidance uh, for Q2 or expectations for Q2. One with global restoration, one without. Um, can you just talk a little bit about so the 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 with and without ranged from uh, I think you know down 40 to 50 percent to being flat to up 15 percent with global restoration. Is that can you just clarify? Is that because of inclu including global restoration this period where it wasn't included last year, or are you actually seeing a lot higher growth from global restoration? It's the it's the former. Um, just uh, looking at the organic year-over-year um, -year situation in Q2, and then layering in global, which I think a lot of people are have, have modeled separately or looked at separately. Um, okay, okay, that's helpful. Um, and just when, when you break down the brands business. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about what you've seen kind of quarter to date by service line in terms of, you know, where you're seeing any, I mean, obviously seeing lots of weakness, but where you're seeing potentially offsetting pockets of growth across the brand's businesses? Um, I can't report any offsetting pockets of growth, Stephen, but, yeah. uh, um, you know, let me talk about the home improvement brands uh, as a bucket because they're all very similar. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really unusual situation in that leads are certainly off in the last uh, six weeks, um, but we are, uh, you know, but they are stable. And, and I would say in the last couple of weeks starting to, to tick up. So we're engaging, engaging with customers and providing estimates and in some cases booking jobs but but we are unable to uh, deliver the service for the most part I mean 85% of North America has effectively been shut down so before it starts to open up or before it opens up we we won't actually be able to convert into revenue um, Century Fire is uh, is is pretty resilient um, uh, to date. They you know there's two pieces of that business, uh, one tied to uh, new construction, about 45% of the revenue, and that's that's off modestly, but only just modestly. Um, there are some construction sites that they're unable to access, but but many which they they continue to work on and are deemed essential. And there's a very, very strong backlog of work there, so uh, we will fire back up quickly on that side. 
And then the other piece of uh, the business is service inspections and repair. That's down a little bit more. Uh, ironically, the, the less cyclical part of the business, um, simply because a lot of the customers are shut down, so they're not getting in to perform the inspections or the, or the service. Uh, but, but Century Fire net net is, um, you know, off only only modestly, in line with say first service residential. And, uh, and then we have, you know, the restoration piece, which has been steady for us. Okay. Okay, that's um, that's helpful. And and when you when you look at when you when you the numbers you put forth for Q2, um, does that assume that the the um, uh, you know the stability that you've seen over the more recently continues through the rest of the quarter? Or does it in does it incorporate potentially a bit of a rebound? Like you're, you said, you're starting to see some of the home improvement business ticking up in terms of booking jobs and engaging Yeah, no, we, we haven't. Uh, I mean, it does. It, it really does change day to day. Um, so we, we have not uh, really built any rebound in for, the, for Q2. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's, uh, that's very helpful. Thanks for that color. Um, and then on the first service residential side, um, could you just clarify, uh, you know, I think the number's around 25%, but is that a fair estimate of what percentage of first service residential revenues are sort of under that, under pressure with respect to, you know, the transfer disclosure, the aquatics and spas? Is, is that, is that the right number to think about? It sounds right. Jeremy, do you want to? Yeah. Yeah, that would be about right, Steve, 20 to 25 percent. Okay, okay, that's um, okay. That's great. Thank, thank you very much. Your next question comes from Stephen Sheldon. Please state your question. First, I, I wanted to ask kind of what trends, and it took me a while to get into the queue, so sorry if I missed this, but, but what trends have you seen in residential client retention throughout the first quarter uh, especially in March, and what would you expect looking into the second quarter and the rest of the year? Um, you know, we had a solid first quarter in terms of retention, in terms of sales and retention. Um, going forward, I think retention will continue to be um, will continue to be good, and. Uh, you know, certainly, I don't think boards of directors are focusing on a management change uh, through this disruption. So we expect that our retention will um, will probably improve during this period. But at the same time, it will be harder to uh, to pry accounts loose and to win, get boards' attention. So we're expecting our sales to to temper as well. But the balance between them will probably stay the same. Okay, that's helpful. And then again, sorry it took me, but but can you can you restate the parameters you set up again for Q2 for first service residential? Um, I, did you give it? I, I I missed it, so I don't know if you gave it for both residential and brands or how you framed it. Yeah, first service residential revenues down 10 to 15 percent. Uh, there will be some margin dilution because the decline in revenue is from ancillary services which on average carry a higher margin uh, brands down 40 to 50 percent x global flat to up 
15 with global in aggregate low to mid single digit margin. Okay, that's helpful. Um, and then, you know, it, it, as you think about the second quarter, um, you know, I know you, you've talked about furloughs and other things. Are there other expenses? And I think you said you'd maybe cut Aldridge discretionary spend. I mean, are there any other expenses where you might try to rein in spend if trends in the second quarter, um, you know, deteriorate even more than expected? Um, the answer is yes, but I, I will tell you that uh, we we jumped on this early and boldly. And, and I, I, I must say I'm very proud of the way our teams approached this situation. They faced it head on from the beginning. And the approach was to err on the side of being too aggressive. You know, we, we did not know and really stu still do not know uh, what we're dealing with. And we did not want to regret um, being too passive about this. So I'm, I'm very comfortable with the action we've taken. Um, if if uh, the situation declines from where it is today, uh, we will have to take further action. Okay. But I think we've done the right thing to date. Got it. All right. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from Simia C8. Please state your question. Thanks. Morning. Um, just to firstly, typically in residential, what are the ballpark margins for, I guess, the core property management business versus um, the more ancillary services? Jeremy, I'll pass over yeah. to you. So my, everything around property management and the cited um, staff, uh, everything labor, is kind of 8 to 10% um, order of magnitude. And... Um, on the on the more transaction related services, yeah, 30% plus, you know, an incremental would be higher than that, but just as as a current base, be uh, in, in that order. So it is much more significant than the labor services. All right. Okay. Thanks for that. Um, I'm not sure if I missed this, but just uh, can go over how the uh, global and Paul Davis businesses have done um, post the shutdown period. Um, so they're, they're a little different, but, uh, you know, they had, uh, global certainly had a, had a solid first quarter, uh, which was generally in line with its prior year. Uh, keep in mind, we did not own global in Q1 of last year, but organically year over year, it was generally in line. Uh, last year they had some hurricane work in Q1 carryover, and if you normalize for that, global was up on a net organic basis. And we follow that closely uh, because it really measures our progress with, with national accounts. Um, global has benefited from commercial COVID work, uh, which has picked up considerably in April. Um, and in addition, I think there's an expectation that reopening and return to work um, might amplify that and lead to more specialist disinfectant services and, and initial deep cleans in commercial premises, that sort of thing. 
And all of that will help to um, offset the decline in weather-related claims, which have, which have been down for uh, a few quarters now. And uh, certainly Paul Davis has been feeling that as well. Um, the impact of COVID, while Paul Davis does have uh, also COVID-related work, uh, it has been more significantly impacted uh, because its business is primarily residential. And they have hundreds and hundreds of jobs that have been um, effectively paused uh, because they are in homes and, uh, and they've had to pull out. So um, residential claims have, have, were down all quarter and uh, we expect that to continue through Q2. Okay, thanks. Uh, that's helpful. And just uh, lastly, for me, a bit of a bigger picture question. I mean, obviously, your business has uh, evolved and diversified quite a bit. And looking at the evolution, how do you see, I guess, the company's positioning today as, you know, better being able to go through the current uh, downturn versus maybe a few years ago? Uh, well, I think that we have continued to diversify our business and uh, the addition of, of global has certainly helped. Uh, we, we did not envision anything like this when we were making that acquisition. I mean, uh, we, we love the opportunity that we have in, in restora restoration, both residential and commercial. Um, but it is, it, it will serve us well through, through this period. Um, other than that, we're just we're just better uh, across the board and have differentiated ourselves relative to our competitors and, uh, more substantially. And I think that you know, in many of our businesses, our leadership position is shining through uh, in in the current environment, and and we expect that we will emerge um, in a better position competitively. Uh, you know, we're, we believe that. Our teams are delivering right now. Okay, sounds good. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Your next question comes from Daryl Young. Please state your question. Morning, guys. Morning. My question is uh, on the M&A landscape. Um, just looking out past the COVID uh, period, if you're seeing or you expect to see an increase in the number of opportunities out there, as, as some of your competitors may have, may have struggled uh, more through this uh, through this reduced activity level period, on on both residential and on uh, the brand side, and specifically, I'm thinking some of the private equity um, players in the in the um, restoration space. Yeah, well, there there there's that group, uh, but there's also the really the broad um, group of our competitors. Uh, we operate in fragmented markets, so really in, in, every, in every business. Our competitors are, are primarily small family-owned businesses, and I would say that they are generally very nimble and very entrepreneurial and a resilient group, um, but this is an unusual time, and they are not as well capitalized as, as we are and some won't make it, and some may well be more amenable to acquisition. Uh, uh, we, we, will, we will be very 
um, I guess, uh, aware and and um, and alert for those opportunities. Uh, we're not seeing it as yet. It's still early, uh, but you know, we we maintain communication with um, a group of these companies, and we have for years and years and years, and we will continue to. And it's a very respectful relationship. And so we'd like to think that when those families do get to that point where it's it's time for them to exit, then that um, will be the call that they make. Um, in terms of the private equity uh, restoration companies, those are all relatively new investments, and I expect that um, those businesses are well capitalized and will be formidable competitors for us in the over the next few years. Okay, great. That's uh, that's all the questions for me. Thanks. Thanks. Your next question comes from Mark Riddick. Please state your question. Uh, hi. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, and forgive me, it took a little while to get into the into the call, so I may have missed a little bit of the, the first few minutes there. But I did want to go over just a, a similar question to the, the last one posted, but I wanted to see if you could give an update on your views as to the general acquisition uh, plans behind the, the company-owned brands and kind of where you want to get to with, with California Closets and, um, and, and Paul Davis. I was wondering if you could give an update as to your thoughts on that as well as, you know, whether you know, you'd be in a position to – it seems as though you're financially in a position to act should company-owned uh, brand opportunities arise during the downturn. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Uh, we believe we are in a position to act. Um, Practically, it's it's tough to it will be tough to close deals in this environment until until travel opens up, just in terms of uh, completing our you know adequate due diligence and and um, develop relationships with the the principals and and so on. But we're doing what we can. We're certainly working uh, on our on our pipeline and and continuing to prospect and and add to it. Um, as it relates to the to the company owned at Cal Closets and Paul Davis, those are long-term strategies. We continue to work on them. Uh, they will be uh, paused, I think, for a few months here for the reasons I just articulated. But um, you know, as I as I said in response to the earlier question, some of some of the um, the franchises that um, that we ultimately would would like to own. This this may help us uh, in those in those discussions or, or otherwise accelerate discussions. Okay, Th thanks for that. And then I did want to follow up with thoughts on it. Kind of, it seems as though given where we are with unemployment and, and jobs being interrupted, what have you. I was wondering if you maybe give some thought or some 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 comments around. You know, in the past when things were, were going, you know, really, really well, it was, it was fairly hard to get, get hold of, of, of good help. And, and so I wanted to get a general sense of, you know, maybe if there's an opportunity to, you know, be in a more advantaged position than maybe some of your peers and, and how you might be thinking about, you know, HR opportunities coming out of the downturn. Thank you. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting question. I'm not, you know, it's, it's, it's on our mind, but uh, first and foremost, we have many people have, that have been furloughed, and we want to get them back. 
uh, get them back working and get them back to uh, to to full weeks and full hours. Uh, and then um, if we have the opportunity to bring on others, uh, we would certainly look to that. And I think I think you're right. It's probably an environment where there are opportunities for us to add quality talent. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from Frederick Bastion. Please state your question. Hey, good morning. I apologize if you've uh, covered this already, but I also waited to get on the call and missed, uh, missed all your prepared comments. Um, what, what kind of signals are you getting from clients and customers right now? Are they, are they all saying they want you back once the restrictions are lifted, or are you, are you starting to see some, some hesitation on their part? Uh, I don't think we're seeing any hesitation, but um, we are certainly uh, revising our protocols around service delivery. And uh, before we do get back, and I'm thinking about in, in residential homes uh, primarily, but it goes across the board, we will want to communicate very clearly with that customer and share with them our SOPs and, and new protocols in the new environment. And, um, and that, you know, the work on, on uh, revising uh, all of that is, is uh, taking place. You know, we have to ready our installation teams and, and painting crews for uh, a revised uh, process that um, ensures their safety, but also uh, ensures the safety of our customers. So. All right, thanks, Carl. Again, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star one. Your next question comes from Matt Logan. Please state your question. Thank you and good morning. Good morning, Matt. Just following up on the M&A related questions, can you talk about your own willingness to deploy capital over the next two or three quarters? Um, would you say this is on hold or you know, is, this, is there a limit or are you only looking at distressed opportunities in the near term? Uh, certainly not looking at distressed opportunities uh, unless they happen to line up strategically. Um, but there are some, uh, you know, we, we have priorities in terms of our uh, acquisition strategy. And um, so we would, uh, we're not pushing the pause button, absolutely. Uh, we would look to try to, if, if we have one of our high priority targets, um, want to engage and close, we would, we would look to try and find a way to do that. Appreciate that. And maybe just changing gears, would you be able to provide any, uh, you know, metrics around the quantum of, uh, you know, savings from furloughs uh, and uh, operating expense reductions? Um, yeah, I can give you a few numbers, and then I'll pass it over to uh, Jeremy. But uh, about 3,200 people in total have been uh, furloughed or had their hours reduced. Um, over 500 uh, with salary cuts and, and 
on average significant cuts, uh, and then a number of um, a number of terminations. And Jerry, maybe maybe if you want to provide dollars, I'll pass it to you. Yeah, sure, uh, Matt. You know, in terms of annualized impact, you know, roughly on, on personnel cost reductions around 40 million, and then we've got some other stuff, you know, T&E, marketing, other things where we're cutting too. Um, that's on an annualized basis. Obviously, we're going to flex uh, and see how long this plays out. You know, that could be reduced. Furloughs, for example, you know, we've got uh, potentially people that we'll bring back in. In 90 days, call it uh, if we see um, uh, an uptick in activity. Appreciate the commentary. Maybe just you know providing a bit of a base for 2019 as we think about going forward. Would you be able to tell us the uh, 2019 and trailing 12-month adjusted EBITDA if you had owned global restoration for the full period? Um, well, when we when we do our leverage ratios, if I understand your question correctly, Matt, like the 2.4 times now um, includes the um, the impact of global for the period that we've owned it, and um, we get a, a 12 month window on all of our acquisitions. So, you know, we acquired this at the end of June, so there would be another quarter of of global um, built into that uh, 2.4 times leverage. Is, is that your question? Yeah, so I guess if I just take your uh, debt debt and multiply that by 2.4, that would give me, you know, the related EBITDA if you don't global for the full year. Correct. And plus the other tuck unders, correct? Plus the tuck unders. And I guess last one for me uh, before I turn the floor back. When we look out to 2021 and 2022, can you give us any insights from the GFC in terms of, you know, what your experience was then? and if there's any read-throughs that you think might be relevant for investors uh, in the current environment. It, it's Scott here. I, you know, I don't know where to start on that. Um, this is so different. Um, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to pass. Jump All right, in. Scott and Jeremy. <laughs> I appreciate your commentary regardless and uh, commend you for providing some color on uh, Q2 and uh, the financials therein. Thanks, Matt. And there are no further questions at this time. Okay. Well, listen, thank you for joining us today. I, I wish you all good health in the coming months, and we look forward to updating you in late July on our Q2 call. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes the first quarter investors conference call. Thank you for your participation and have a nice day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.